This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Today, today is an amazing day, not just because of the weather, but because we've got something that will help you take advantage of the weather because it looks like this stuff is sticking around for a while. Hopefully an entire calendar month. That would be nice. And you can also help out in another way. Joining us right now is a great friend of London Live, Teresa Carrier, as we talk about the kickoff to One Run's virtual journey, 100 kilometers in length, for 2021. Teresa, how are you? I'm feeling great. I feel the same way. Like I'm, I'm so excited about the, the nice weather coming up and the fact that we're starting another campaign. And this is an absolute blast. It is. Because it, it might seem daunting, but don't worry. Teresa can, she can run 100 kilometers in a day. So this is giving us until June 18th of 2021 to complete 100 kilometers. Come on. we it's, It is a lot of fun to try and fit it in. And, Teresa, there's a lot of different ways we can do it. You don't have to run it, right? No, you don't. You can walk it. You can bike it. You can skateboard. You can do whatever it takes to get you moving. So we're including everybody on this. Even those old wheelie shoes? I don't even know if the kids have those anymore. You could wheelie shoe 100 kilometers, and it could certainly count. Teresa, let's talk about taking this virtual, because you went through it last year, and going into it, you probably weren't too sure how it might work. Can you take us back to last year? Because it gives a, a good idea of what we can expect in 2021. Well, you're right, Mike. Last year was a big learning curve for us. We weren't sure if we were even going to continue the campaign without being able able to go to our schools and and make things happen live but we did uh the team put together a virtual challenge and as you mentioned for a month we're going to challenge people to complete that 100k and uh we were pleasantly surprised by the amount of people who participated in the event and helped us raise money last year we had 1200 people participate and we were able to raise over $150,000 for Wellspring and Childcan. So, you know, this year, of course, we would love to be doing things live, but circumstances have us doing it virtual again. And what it allowed us to do, Mike, which was amazing, was it allowed our event to reach out to people across the country. People in Europe were involved. People in the States were involved. So, um, you know, to see more people involved in the One Run and what we do and just have that magic shared, it was thrilling for all of us involved. Teresa Carrier joining us. You can go to onerun.ca to register right now. It is easy, and all you've got to do is look at ways that you can complete 100K. It's not as daunting as it sounds. In a month, you just kind of schedule it through, couple K here, couple K there, and you can get out and enjoy the sunshine. It's a very pandemic-friendly activity. Now, Teresa, you do have runners of hope who are going to be involved as we get toward the end of this year's campaign. Please tell us about them. Well, we have 10 local cancer survivors participating this year. They're called our Runners of Hope, and they will each be completing 10K of their own on Saturday, June the 19th. Our hope is, Mike, is to have a, a you know a great celebration to complete our campaign 
we'll see how the restrictions hold up at that point. Uh, but we want to honour those that have fought and are doing extremely well. They're just an inspiration. Their stories are shared on our website at onerun.ca. And I think it's just a true testament of, uh, you know, the courage of those folks and what a, a community filled with hope can do for those that are dealing with cancer. So I, I encourage people to go and find out more about our Runners of Hope. Boy, inspiring stories. We need as many of those as we can get right now. And what a great example. You are a cancer survivor as well. You've been able to meet so many people and and kind of share stories. What has that been like going through this? It's it's incredible. You know, every year we hear uh, people's stories and, and just the amount of strength that is out there and how many people have amazing support systems you know you can't you can't survive cancer you can't battle cancer alone and oftentimes you know asking for help we, we we're reluctant but you know you have to ask for help and and when you do that you're just surrounded by a circle of strength and it certainly helps those that are, are dealing with cancer to to get through it and I think you know story after story that's what I hear is just this amazing uh, support system and just true true courage and you know you don't realize how strong you are until you go through something like this and we're all experiencing it now with the the challenges of covid we're really discovering strength that we probably didn't know we had Teresa carrier with us go to onerun.ca and get set for the 100 kilometer virtual journey uh, Teresa, again you've done this in a day so i mean it, you could put it off until june the 17th and then say yes i'll get my 100k <laughs> tomorrow and and you've proven you can complete it for the rest of us do you have any tips on on maybe the way to to get through it if you're starting something like this for the first time and that number 100 is looking pretty big well i'll tell you mike you mentioned it you know just a few kilometers you know every day um you know go out with your family make it a a a family event and it's really surprising how just a little each day can add up towards the end so i think i think everyone is able to do it um you know as you mentioned the weather looks like it's going to cooperate so i think uh it'll be a fun journey for everyone and it's easy because you don't even really have to do the counting yourself because you just create a Strava account. It'll do the counting for you. It shows you where you've gone, all kinds of great things involved. And all of that information is, again, at onerun.ca. Teresa, thanks so much Thank for you, giving Mike. us something to enjoy outside and a pandemic-friendly activity that is going to make a big difference once again for Wellspring and for Child Can. We really appreciate it. We appreciate your support, Mike. All right, hope to see you out in the trails. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. All right, thank you. That is Teresa Carrier. Little bit of day, and next thing you know, you'll have more than 100, and you'll say, how did, how did I even do this? This is amazing. Who knows what it'll set up. Right now, we are very lucky to be able to welcome... London Mayor Ed Holder to London Live. Mayor Holder, thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate the chance to chat, uh, but I thought you were too young for Star Wars. <laughs> I was at a theater live to see the first one, so uh, I young and me, that's thats not a description anymore. Maybe you and I were at the, the same theater, although maybe you were too young for that. Oh, I don't think so, but it's uh, it's all good, though. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about an announcement last week and kind of some of what has happened since then. And it was an unfortunate one hearing that Greyhound would not be operating from place to place in Canada. They'd keep some routes from the U.S. to Canada when borders open for that kind of thing. But it cuts down on the ability to get from city to city to city in Ontario or or even in Canada. And the hope is that some slack can be picked up. Mayor Holder, what are you hearing about any of that slack? Has anybody stepped in and said, hey, we're going to look at this? Well, first, you know, you think about the employees across the country that have been impacted by Greyhound. In London, we haven't had uh, Greyhound service in a year. So I think Londoners are in, in their own way have had to adjust without them. But that's no consolation for anyone whose employment was dependent on Greyhound and for those who needed to travel from place to place, absolutely not just an inconvenience, but uh, when you think of road travel, how important that is for uh, for anyone, be it students uh, who have to get home from London to uh, to folks who want to visit folks or to um, just to get to other parts of the region and the country. So when you hear of something like this, it's always distressing. Uh, on the positive side, uh, a few months ago, uh, not even quite then, I was approached by the Premier and the Minister of Transportation provincially, and they asked if I would chair a task force, the Southwest Ontario a Transportation Task Force, to look at a variety of, uh, of means that we use to get around our region. Uh, one of them uh, certainly had to do with local and regional transit and intercommunity busing. Uh, a second had to do with roads and highways, you know, about issues around uh, expanding roads and the safety of roads and the like and what that all involves. The third, uh, certainly something important to Londoners as well, is the issue of rail and what our needs are both from an intercommunity standpoint and uh, and more broadly speaking. Uh, another had to do another area, and I'm just going to touch on them briefly, was to do with uh, bridges, tunnels, and underpasses, how we deal with those, and uh, even for that matter, how we connect to international uh, uh, venues. And of course, uh, Windsor and Sarnia are impacted by that. And uh, those are those are just four of the areas. We're looking at air travel as well and uh, ferries and active transportation. So everything is on the table. And we've assembled at this stage uh, 10 uh, regional mayors from uh, Sarnia, pardon me, Sarnia, Windsor, right through east to uh, Woodstock and uh, and Stratford, all the way up to Owen Sound. So it's a pretty large region. And we have 10 mayors and several uh uh, First Nations groups that are working with us to uh, to see if we can come up with some recommendations for the province to consider. Well, we'll look forward to all of that, and we'll see where things go. We're talking with London Mayor Ed Holder. Mayor Holder, there are other ideas that are coming forward, and coming forward very quickly, to help London recover from COVID-19. We've heard there are as many as, as five that will be considered, including one from Tourism London. What can you tell us about what you'll be dealing with this week in that way? Well, that's all part of our London Community Recovery Network. And that uh, that morphed from uh, the initial uh, London, London Mayor's Advisory Task Forces on both the economy and the social impacts uh, on our community and associated recovery during and post-pandemic. So we have had uh, literally dozens and dozens of groups and individuals with an interest to have given us uh, significant advice. Some was uh, easy to do in that it was uh, how we deal with certain areas of government for either supports or just how to uh, how to 
to weave through uh, the, the network of governments at senior levels and local level for that matter as well. And then uh, from there, we we really brought it down to a number of ideas, some that we've already passed and some that we're going to be looking at uh, at our upcoming council meeting, uh, including our committee of the whole uh, tomorrow uh, night. And uh, I think those ideas are really quite exciting from a London standpoint because I think they will have some immediate economic impact, but also re- really strong social impacts as well. So we've, uh, we were looking at uh, several, uh, and you've mentioned five, and you're quite right. One is from Tourism London. And, uh, you know, that's such a significant part of London's local economy, and it's basically been cut in half during the pandemic in terms of the impact on our economy. So what we're trying to do with that is to find very specific ways that we can support our tourism industry, and uh, and uh, Council will be addressing those specific concerns. I'm happy to go into any detail on any of these, but I'll just quickly highlight the others. Another is an interesting uh, project to do with Goodwill Industries, that what they're looking to do is to take people uh, and help them develop skills, truly a social enterprise focus, with the idea of, of taking uh, products that have been donated or otherwise discarded uh, that are good for reuse in clothing and the like, and uh, they've asked for our support to help them, and it will provide some significant employment for folks that you wouldn't uh, that that aren't necessarily in the white collar or even other blue collar trades. The third uh, has to do with the uh, a community sustainability project around food. Uh, the fourth is uh, uh, an initiative from Tech Alliance that uh, helps support uh, investment in ventures. Uh, that are really innovative to help the growing economy. And finally, the Employment Sector Council, who is uh, looking at uh, a variety of resources and training to to enhance employment for Londoners. So all with the London focus and all with the idea of creating jobs and providing support for uh, those uh, who uh, require additional training to get out there and, uh, and be sustaining members of London. Great stuff. Well, we'll hear more about that tomorrow. London Mayor Ed Holder joining us on London Live. Mayor Holder, just one more thing, and and that is we're getting there. We know we're getting there. We're seeing vaccinations made available to everybody who is 18-plus as of tomorrow. We're seeing more and more people getting that first shot. We are still also seeing restrictions that have been extended, and we've had large demonstrations against restrictions. You name the city, we've had it most recently, Ottawa, Toronto. How would something like that be handled if it happened in the future in London again? Well, you know, we're uh, we're always aware of the protests that uh, that affect us. Uh, primarily focused around Victoria Park uh, in London. And so we always have police and our own uh, enforcement officers uh, there. I will tell you, uh, not so much the weekend where we had uh, a a protest from those who don't like to wear masks and and the anti-vaxxers and uh, declarations of freedom freedom of speech and the like. But uh, and I'm not dismissing it, but that's was was theirs, and so we had a we had a, a strong presence there. They, I think, they had about 200 people there. But in the prior uh, protest that we had, one of the concerns I sometimes hear, Mike, uh, are issues around: Well, are you ever going to charge them? It takes some investigation to do it right. Uh, we laid charges as a result of that prior protest, uh, with significant fines associated with that. 
And, you know, it's our last resort. I mean, we want people to uh, to do the right thing. So when we talk about the things we always ever have around wearing your mask and physical distancing and uh, the stay-at-home order in terms of don't bring outside groups to your home, uh, wash your hands, and uh, take the shot. I mean, those are the things that we have preached for over a year. And you and I get why Londoners are so tired of this. Oh, my gosh, it's just been the never-ending story, it seems. But I do believe there's light at the end of the tunnel. You've seen that with the reduction of ages for people to get the shot. And I highly encourage people to do just that. Get your appointment, be there, and, uh, and you know, your second shot will be available at the right time, if not a bit earlier, but certainly uh, within the four-month prescribed timeline. But get the shot. I mean, do it uh, for your family, do it for your friends, do it for the community. And if people just pay mind to that, then you know what? I, I'm really grateful. Uh, most Londoners truly, truly get it. So notwithstanding protests, uh, they're the smallest number of people, and uh, and you can't convince them otherwise, it would seem. But, you know, uh, we need to do it for uh, the people we love most, and if we do that, we're going to end up in a good place. Well, like the never-ending story that promised all kinds of wishes and adventures that hadn't been chronicled yet. We've got those to come, but that's another story, and we'll get there at some point. Mayor Holder, thank you so much for the time today. We really appreciate it. Right now, let's talk about safe entry, because if we're picturing it, and you're picturing vaccination passports or you are picturing questionnaires or you're picturing some kind of rapid test where there's a swab and then you've got to wait 15 minutes or what it kind of like the little litmus thing they use for a urine test when you're at the doctors that's all going to take a while and a while getting into events with lots of people that's going to take a long time is there anything that exists now that could help that out well, it just so happens that we have with us someone who can tell us all about that. It was demonstrated earlier today in London. Please welcome the chief uh, officer and director at predictmedics.com, Dr. Rahul Kuswa. Dr. Kuswa, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Mike. It's a pleasure being on. Let's talk a little bit about what you have come up with, because all of us are dreaming of the day when you can go to an event where there are a lot of people. And, hey, it's going to take a little while for some people to feel comfortable. Others are going to rush right in and, you know, let me have it. I am in a crowd and I am good with that. But the entry point is something of, of great concern. So please let us know what you and your company have worked on and created. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so at Predict Medics, we are, I mean, of course, an artificial intelligence company, and we are building disruptive technologies which not only target healthcare, but more importantly, they're going after workplace health and safety. So the, the two main technologies that we are rolling out as we speak, uh, the first one pertains to uh, screening of symptoms of infectious diseases like COVID-19, and that is the one that we did demo this morning here in London, and we also have another technology that can screen for signs of cannabis and alcohol impairment. So overall, uh, the units look like what you would see at an airport, just like a metal screener. And as individuals are walking through uh, our proprietary configuration of multispectral cameras with a host of sensors, 
is capturing uh, a lot of information which is processed by our artificial intelligence algorithms. And in a few seconds, the output is given in the form of a red or a green light. So if the person is exhibiting any symptoms, let's say symptoms of COVID-19, then the red light uh, lights up. And what that means is that there have to be secondary measures in terms of uh, perhaps the person can undergo a COVID-19 test or maybe they won't be allowed to go into the facility that day. And on the other hand, if it's a green light, it means the person is not exhibiting any symptoms and now they can be let in. When we're talking about symptoms, what kinds of symptoms are you able to account for? So uh, we are looking at a host of different symptoms. These include things like fever, cough, exhaustion, congestion, uh, sweat gland activation, eye redness, and headache. That's that's a, a long list. Now, let's say that I don't have COVID-19, but boy, I haven't been able to sleep because I am so excited about going and I am exhausted. Uh, if it picks up that I'm exhausted, am I going to be sent for a secondary check? No, actually, in that case, the system will not flag the individual because a lot of training of the AI algorithms has actually happened for clinical data. I mean, real data from COVID-19 symptomatic individuals. So as such, if someone is just exhibiting signs of allergy or someone is exhibiting, let's say, just simply exhaustion, uh, they will not be flagged. Nevertheless, if someone is showing a host of symptoms and that pattern is similar to, let's say, what is seen with influenza, then yes, that individual will be flagged. Because the premise with the technology is all about how do you create more like a safe bubble where you can minimize spread of infections. And that's where safe entry stations come into play. We are talking with Dr. Rahul Kushwa, who is the Chief Operating Officer and the Director of Predict Medics. And we're talking about AI technology that Predict Medics has come up with that will allow for a screening at large-scale events. Dr. Kushwa, this is not something that you put together on a weekend. I, I'm wondering if you can even put it together in the time that we've been dealing with this pandemic. How long have you been working on this? So, uh, well, Predict Medics, uh, we were a private company for over a year and a half. Uh, then we went public around two years ago. So uh, overall, three and a half, or I would say maybe close, close to four and a half to five years. Uh, so at first, uh, we were, uh, I mean, the very first technology that we developed was to screen for cannabis and alcohol impairment without using breathalyzer or any biological fluids. And in parallel, we were working on repurposing the technology for uh, influenza pandemic. And um, it was really last year when we realized that, oh, my gosh, we're in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic. And now this technology can be uh, very timely. And that's where we started to train our algorithms on data, on COVID data from COVID-19 patients, a lot of other clinical data. And we were able to launch our technology to screen for symptoms of infectious diseases, which does encompass COVID-19. I mean, we have had several successful deployments in different parts of the world with major Fortune 500 companies, uh, clinical facilities, uh, major organizations in Canada. And now um, it's really a pleasure for us and for me personally uh, to uh, have our deployments happen at Hockey Fest. Because, again, hockey is something that all of us Canadians are very close to. And just knowing that our technology can make a difference there, I think, uh, is personally very exciting to me. Dr. Kushwa, how accurate is all of this right now? 
So in terms of the ability of our technology to screen for symptoms, it, uh, the accuracy hovers at somewhere close to 95%. But at the same time, we have to remember that it's an AI technology. So what it means is, as our technology is being deployed in different parts of the world in different clinical settings, as more and more data is going into it, the technology keeps on evolving. So it's getting better by the day. And this learning is simultaneously, uh, this learning goes to all of our deployments. So as every day is passing by, the technology just keeps on getting better. So would this be a technology that, let's say, you were the owner of a stadium, you would purchase and put in place for your stadium? Is that the idea? Yep. So um, any live event, uh, well, any sporting venue, uh, any workplace, and almost any place where you have movement of people. I mean, think about airports, uh, train stations, uh, transit terminals. So wherever you have people coming in, you need a technology like this. Absolutely. And the idea that it's it's AI-based and it, and it gets smarter and smarter as it goes along, it, how, how, and, you know, obviously you can't do this, but if you were trying to explain to us how it all worked, how long do you think it would take? Would it, would it take an hour, two hours, or would it be something that, uh, you know, un, unless we've studied it, we just wouldn't get how it would work? Well, again, so uh, you know what, before I became an entrepreneur, I was actually a professor at a medical school in Ottawa, and I was also a scientist at the National Research Council of Canada. So um, uh, with Predict Medics, it's more, it has been more about bridging the, uh, the medical uh, research expertise that I had with AI to solve real healthcare problems. And uh, coming back to COVID-19 and other, other infectious diseases, the brain lies in our ability to gather data using multispectral sensors and turning them into symptoms. And that is the proprietary ingredient which Predict Medics has developed. I mean, in terms of giving you an explanation, perhaps one of the, uh, well, two simple examples I can give you is, for instance, fever. Uh, typical technologies are looking at surface temperature of the skin, which tends to be very, very inaccurate. In contrast to that, what we are doing is we are looking at the overall gradient on the face and we are also focusing on the inner canthus of the eye, which is perhaps the most accurate representation of body temperature. Now, the other example I can give you is, uh, for instance, headaches. So usually when somebody is having a headache, there is a distinct multispectral pattern which is observed right above the eyes. And our AI algorithms have been trained to decipher these information from people as they're walking through the gateways and make a real-time decision to identify if the person is uh, having a headache or not. This is wild. Thank you for explaining it that way, because now, yeah, we can we can start to picture a little bit in terms of what it is doing. So it's not like, yeah, you're just taking the temperature of the air of somebody going by and saying, yeah, we got this, or, you know, what it, the body position of somebody and saying, yeah, that's, that's what it is. It's a whole lot more intricate, it sounds like. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, Dr. Kushwa, thank you so much for describing this for us. Where do you think this can go? I mean, sky's the limit kind of thing? Are you only scratching the surface as to to what you'll be able to do with this technology? Well, I mean, I would say uh, sky's the limit because these same stations can also be reconfigured to screen for cannabis and alcohol impairment, and that still remains a major workplace issue. And again, one of the parallels I'll draw is perhaps going to be 9-11. Before 9-11, who would have thought that when you're entering a building, uh, you'll be screened using metal detectors? Well, now it's happening. And I think COVID-19 has been that pivot point for our society. 
Now we are coming to a realization that, you know what, this is not the last infection. And even with COVID-19, there are, there are new variants that are showing up. I mean, this is costing billions and billions of dollars to the global economy, and we just cannot stay in a stage of perpetual shutdown. Things have to open up. But for things to open up, we need the right safety protocols in place, and that is where these safe entry stations come in. So according to me, this is really going to become a permanent fixture in almost any facility where you have movement of people. So, yeah, we're not talking stadiums where we have thousands. It sounds like this could work in a grocery store where you have tens and hundreds. Exactly. Dr. Kushwa, thank you so much for describing it for us. Uh, thanks for creating it. Uh, I can't wait to walk through one. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of person who, uh, when something's new, I, I just want to check it out. So looking forward to it. Please keep safe and keep up the great work. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. That is Dr. Rahul Kushwa, who is the Chief Operating Officer and Director of PredictMedics.com. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.